Welcome to the Soulful CXO, where we discuss leadership principles, core values, health, wellness, and resiliency. I'm Dr. Rebecca Wynn, the founder and the host of the show. Do you have a topic or guest you would like to be featured on the show? Would you like to be a sponsor? Please reach out to me on LinkedIn or email me at Rebecca at SoulfulCXO.com. Please go to our partner, Cybersecurity Tribe, for weekly show recaps and other resources. Listen and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Now sit back and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Soulful CXO. I'm your host, Dr. Rebecca Wynn. We are pleased to have with us Kim Jones. Kim is a 30-year award-winning intelligence, security, risk management professional with progressive experience in all facets of information security, including strategy, governance, and compliance, executive leadership, physical security, risk mitigation, and business continuity planning. He's Director of Performance Acceleration, Cybercraft, at Intuit. He's held Chief Security Officer and Chief Information Security Officer positions in financial services, manufacturing, and business outsourced industries and services, including being the formal VP and CSO for Vantive, VP and CISO at eTelecare, Senior VP and CSO at FEFD, which is an eFunds corporation, and Information Risk Manager for General Dynamics C4 Systems. He always gives back to the professional community by serving as an advisory or board member for RSA Conference, Fair Institute, SANS GIAC, and Digital Times Transformation. He serves or has served as lecturer or been affiliated faculty for University of California, Berkeley, Boise State University, Arizona State University, and teaches at SANS. In addition to all this, his full-time work, Kim serves as a virtual CISO or vCISO advisor mentor for several global 1,000 companies. And that's just a little bit of what he does on a daily basis. Kim, it's so great to see you, my friend. Welcome to the show. I always love when I get a chance to talk with you, Rebecca. You are one of the handful of people who I just genuinely enjoy because you are absolutely authentic. And there's so little of that I see in the business world at all. So thank you for having me. Thank you. I appreciate that. You're one of the few people actually I've had on the show who started out actually in cyber back in West Point. Can you just walk us through a little bit in your journey and how you've gotten to where you are today? Yeah, yeah, sure. I picked up a computer science degree at the academy. I spent just about 11 years in Army intelligence. About, I want to say about the halfway point, I was working and running a counterintelligence detachment over in Europe, and we started asking questions regarding why are we concerned about these things for passing information like Coke cans and dead drops and all the stuff we see in the movies, a lot of which really happens. And when there's this thing called a floppy disk that I can shove in my cargo pocket, that I can put a safe's worth of information So started dusting off some of the computer science stuff that I had learned in college, started looking at the networking theory, and contributed back in the day to some of the early regulations on automated information systems, as the government was calling them. Did some brief time at NSA when I got out, and then consulted for five years after that. So through the dot-com era, through the common criteria testing and evaluation timeframe, worked for one of the old common criteria labs. And went in-house in 2003 to take my first CISO gig, which moved me out here to Arizona, where I live now. 
And between 2003 and 2016, my role was to build, operate, manage programs. In many cases, and I know you can relate to this particularly, my first boss, who I adore, has been mentor and friend to me for over 20 years now, calls me a smoke-jumping CISO. I'm the one where the platform's on fire, two CISOs have failed, you're under regulatory issues. And as he puts it, I'm the guy, when you have a 50-foot high pile of manure, parachutes in, give me a little runway, and I will give you 50 acres of well-fertilized rose garden. That's how I built my career all the way up to going into academia and then coming back in-house on CISO staff here at Intel. You know, we have that in common, right? Because I did all the accreditation and stuff like that for government systems for many years, which I enjoyed. And at times you find out there's got to be security engineering and networking engineering and you got to switch hats very quickly. I'm shocked. Shocked I am. Shocked. Shocked. (laughs) When you jump into different situations, I'm always curious where do you start? Where do you start to do to the assessment? I know for me, one of the things I do is I really take a quick look at the surroundings. I'm always looking at physical security first. It's just a habit of mine. I think it's know where your exit strategy is going to be. Kind of get a quick read on the people. And then I look to see if processes and procedures are actually what's really happening. Um, so then I see what's in those white spaces. But what do you do? Yeah, buy a $500 Starbucks card. And if it's a big <laughs> enough company, buy a thousand. Seriously. I was asked this question many years ago, and my answer really hasn't changed. If it's a big enough company, buy a $1,000 Starbucks card, because people may not have time for a meal, but they always have time for a cup of coffee or a cup of tea. And what I tell people is to find the decision makers and influencers. And in many cases, those are not necessarily the same person. And you take them out for a cup of coffee and you ask them three questions. First question is, how do you generate revenue? Because even nonprofits generate revenue and dollars come in. The second question you ask is, what keeps them up at night? Not about security, but what keeps them up at night, period. What are they worried about? And then the third question you ask is, if there was one thing that I could do within the next 30 to 60 days that would help you sleep a little easier, And if you do that, you not only get a quick education on how the business operates and runs, what really drives revenue within the business, but you get, and again, this is my non-scientific observation of a 35-year career, you get about 60 to 70% overlap on, this is the thing that's really annoying us right now. And if you can find ways to deal with that low-hanging fruit or put together a plan to deal with that low-hanging fruit, you get instant credibility you get instant recognition that you're not there just to secure the environment to the point of driving it into the ground but truly figuring out how we make it better and address our needs and you help pave the road to make things easier for you as you go further so for me the people piece is always the piece that is the most difficult the most vexing and in many cases if you pay attention to it the easiest to deal with If you don't deal with it, then everything else becomes harder. So drink a lot of coffee, drink a lot of tea, take a lot of meetings with people to understand what's going on. We'll get further doing that than fixing and reconfiguring a firewall, period. I know when I've started different places and been open to here, you end up being, I would call the dumping ground. You don't always find out where all 
the loopholes are, I should say, but you find out all the reasons why, to be honest with you, I hate security because of X, Y, and Z. But how do you work through on finding out really what is going on is and what how to name those priorities for yourself after those meetings? Yeah, it truly becomes, for me, you know, Starbucks curve methodology, methodology is that initial entry. Those are conversations that you want to continue. Because at the end of the day, and a lot of what you're, one of the things you said, Rebecca, was getting to the root cause. I hate security because, you know, that's the phrase you use. What is that because? Is it that because there's a perception we're slowing them down? In which case, how do I better integrate into your existing processes and create efficiencies within the environment so that what you're doing adds the minimal amount of time and is as transparent as possible to your processes? Is it because I just don't understand and you come in and dictate things within the environment which cause me work and cost me money? Then you've got an education and communications problem. How do I actually beat that education and communications problem? How do I come out outreach to you? That can be anything from the standard awareness to can I come into your staff? Can I participate in your town hall? Can I talk to your engineers? Can I just walk around and make myself visible and available to hear what's going on out there? And there's always that small portion. And I go back to the Christopher Nolan, the Dark Knight with the Joker. And I think it was Michael Caine the Butler, who said some people just want to watch the world burn. And, you know, that piece where there's always going to be that small fraction who it's not going the way I want to. I don't like it. There's nothing you can do to make me like it. So tough. I don't want to hear it. I don't care. But if you can reduce that fraction to that small subset and are surrounding yourselves with people who said, I don't know what the problem is. I talked to Kim and he gave me another way to do it, (laughs) which works. I talked to Kim and he bought a tool that's more efficient and transparent in the environment. It still works. If you can turn that level of animosity and resistance into a small, irrational subset based upon how you communicate, how you maneuver, and how you respond, that's how you can win. You know, I don't expect to be like. And when you're doing cleanup, unfortunately, there's a lot of cases where it goes where there's some things where I have to do triage now. But what I hope to be able to do is have people understand that I don't like it, but I understand why it's necessary, and I'm not going to become an obstacle or roadblock for you. And wherever possible, it's that old adage in the military, explain when you can as much as you can so that when you can't, people will understand. So you get to the point where we have to do this now. That's not something I say that often or need to say that often, but when I do, I don't get lots of pushback as to, let's think, no, we have to do this now and then we'll deal with it later. Fine, let's all put our sabers in the ground. Let's fix the problem. And then let's figure out now that we've duct taped it, how we make it better and sustainable as we go forward. But you do that by building up that level of credibility by being willing to engage, willing to listen, willing to understand the problems and concerns that are out there. And Unfortunately, I think those are skills and things that we have forgotten as a profession, I would say, in the last 10 years that we need to rebuild. Can you walk us through a couple of any examples on those steps on maybe when you saw that it wasn't working really well and you had to pivot? Work? I think that sometimes it's hard to 
to be able to translate good frameworks into how we can handle them in reality. And while you think about for a minute, one of the things that we're talking about is really the five whys methodology. And what do you do is usually if you can drill down five steps, you can really find what the root is. And then what you can use is then you can use the five hows to how you're going to tackle tackle that problem. So five whys and then the five hows. But you got to do that without people don't think that they're on a stand and you're they're doing a deposition or something. Yeah, and you went right to the methodology I was going to use. Sorry, so, I stole it. Shocked I am. The why methodology is hugely important. And for people not thinking they're on the stand, the way in my mind that you do that is you don't just communicate when you need something. I used to spend, in every CISO gig that I've had, I usually end up spending the first hour and a half of my day doing nothing but walking the property. When I'll use Vantive, which became WorldPay many years ago, we had three buildings and a small campus, three floors each. And when I get in the morning, the first thing I do is I go grab my big old cup of coffee and I walk around having to refill it once by the time I get back. That would take me from about 8 to about 10 or 10.15 because everywhere I would go, it would be... Hey, how are your kids doing here? What's going on here? What are you guys working on here? And it became a fixture. And, and what would be neat as it became a fixture is I would go around to peers, I'd go around to some business leaders, and I'd get drawn into 10 or 15 minute conversations. And when you do that on a regular basis, when something goes wrong, there's a regular avenue to have that conversation. Every now and again, someone points out the office and says, you, hey, it's like, so you run in, grab your cup of coffee. It's like, yeah, but occasionally it's, look, I hear we're doing this. What's going on? Or I got a bone to pick with you about this. So you listen, you reflect back and say, this is what I think I'm hearing. And then you come back and say, okay, can you help me understand why this is problematic? And then I begin to drill down and peel the onion and get down to, oh, so what's really problematic about this when we get down to root cause here is I'm forcing you to change this process, which is disrupting your ability to do X. And yeah, so if I could do this without forcing that change, would that be helpful to you? And in many cases, my dad used to say, See that door behind me? There are a million more ways to get through that door. And I bet you can find at least 12 that'll actually work. But okay, that's not a big deal for me. I'll go change the process to do this and we can just go forward. And then, but creating those opportunities to have that conversation, not just when there's a problem or you need something, et cetera. You get a whole lot of traction by making yourself visible and present. Again, that's harder in this hybrid environment. It's harder when we're not in constantly. And finding ways to connect to the culture and the folks, et cetera, may be something more formal, as in I'm going to do virtual coffee with my four or five key stakeholders at least once a month and say, look, I never want you to have to wait until there's a problem to talk to me. So if you will give me 15 minutes, at your convenience sometime this month, I'm going to grab my cup of coffee and I just want to listen. 
I just want to get, have an opportunity to listen to what's going on and figure out how I do my job better or give you an absolute opportunity just to agree, uh, voice agree. So it's a little harder now between COVID and the hybrid environment, but the principles are the same. You have to be present and make yourself approachable and reachable. And I used to do that by walking around. Now you may do that via having an open Slack channel that says ask, hashtag ask the CISO that anyone can come and talk and gripe at or creating some level of scheduled event or whatever. But you got to make yourself approachable and visible all the time, not just when there's a problem. Yeah, you you brought in technology. One of the things I think technology has actually gotten in the way. You brought up Slack, whether it's Slack teams or some other chat. And mm. One of the things is it's like there's 25,000 yes. Slack channels and Slack. Guys, it ends up being noise all the time. You don't see as many people writing meaningful emails. Instead, it's all these other communications. And when you have a meeting, it's a meeting. And then here's this 10-page outbrief. And you're inundated with so much information that you don't have thinking time anymore. What, what do you see? I think that's a critical lack. We have to have time to be able to not only read the information, see the information, but synthesize and then come with a meaningful solution. And I see that is a gap that's drastically missing right now. Yes. And you mentioned so many things in that, Rebecca. So first, let's start with email and then let me answer your question. Because of the multitude of technologies out there, we are preconditioning ourselves to assume that it is all voice. And we're not paying attention to it. We're not giving it the time it deserves. And we're losing the nuggets that exist within those communications by letting them sit or linger, et cetera. Slack's supposed to make things better. It's instantaneous. I got 150 Slack channels open, and I don't see your message come through because they're all coming through willy-nilly in the background. Emails, you know, we send an email. We hear about how email is archaic, but I've yet to find any large company that's actually eliminating this email system for internal applications. And then we drop everything in there, and then nobody clears their email queues. Between my personal business, my work business, the schools I teach at, just my home life, I have nine email accounts. I go to email zero at least once every two weeks, which means I force the clearing of those emails to make sure that I'm not letting things in. That's a discipline that I think we've forgotten from an operational standpoint and helps make people think that you don't appreciate or value the contribution that you're giving them because you're letting the questions that they're asking linger. Now, going back to where you started with this in terms of think time, yes, absolutely. Got to carve that out. Whether And you've got to figure out when you're going to carve that out of your schedule. Is that going to be one day a week? Is it going to be X number of hours a day? And you have to carve it out in a way that doesn't impede with family time, et cetera. As a CISO, you're a strategist. Your job is to think about not what's right in front of you, but to think at least three to five steps ahead and how you're going to position your organization to better move in that direction. Part of that means how I'm going to grow the people who directly work for me so that I can create that level of space and time to think that far even further. But until you get there, you've got to carve out that think time. Whether And for me, that think time used to be, when I was actually sitting in the chair, it used to be from 7 to 8 in the mornings. So I would get in the office early, I would have my cup of coffee, and before I would even begin to look at email, I would sit down for an hour and say, okay, what's coming down the pike that I need to worry about? Where are we looking at the next year? What do I need to do about people in the environment? What's the tech that's coming? And that would give me five hours a week just to sit down in my space 
before most people were there and we get left alone. Then from eight to nine, I would prioritize the email calling as I began to go through and make sure I haven't missed anything. And then I would dive into my day. Yes, we're not thinking. And because we're not thinking, we're not acting. We're reacting. Now, if you're thinking about the problem, particularly strategically, you will act and not react. And until we strengthen that muscle as a profession, we will always be on our back foot. And that's not good. That's one of the challenges that I've seen more recently here with the chief information security officer reporting to chief technical officer. And don't get me wrong, I've had some really great ones in the past. I've had some really off ones in the past where they want you to be a tactical CISO. So you're putting out fires all the time and not allowing you to be strategic. And I'm always saying, guys, if a holistic answer is what's going to, from an enterprise risk management mitigation, your risk over a long period of time. If you're always doing tactical, you're just trying to buy what is the best solution for that moment, but it's not really good on operational costs or things almost. So what do you see with tactical versus strategic? Let me poke at that a little bit because you brought in a few things there, including reporting structure. And while reporting, and I'm not going to, because we could spend another half hour ourselves just going down the reporting rabbit hole in various and sundry ways. So I don't want to go down that rabbit hole, but I want to try and tweak the perspective as to, I think, why the technical reporting reporting structure can be challenging. I'm not saying it's incorrect or correct, but it can be challenging. I, I recently about eight or nine months ago, was introduced to Simon Sinek's book, The Infinite Game. And it talks about finite versus infinite games, and that a finite game has a set number of players, and a set number of rules, and a set time frame. And you know what the definition of success is in a finite game. Infinite game, the players can change on a regular basis. There are no rules. How you strategize regarding doing it can shift on a dime. And there is no time limit. And I had one of my Berkeley students actually propose the statement that security and information security and cybersecurity, by definition, is an infinite game. And stepping back from that a second, now compare that to the rest of the technology organization. An example that I like to use is if you tell a CIO, I want, you're at four nines in terms of uptime, and I want to get to five. CIO knows exactly what they need to do, exactly within their tech stack what they need to alter to do it, exactly the amount of money that needs to be spent. And barring any major changes within the tech stack, they know that if I do these things, I will achieve that end. When you're taking an organization that you believe is just another portion of tech stack and having them play an infinite game when technologists are playing finite games, you now say, how do I employ this individual to be effective collectively within the stack? And then you start answering questions as to how much money I spend, how big they need to be, how much time do they need to take, all things that we as a security profession have struggled with in the years that you and I have done this. So I would contend that the reason many technology organizations are forcing the tactical response to a cybersecurity team within their org 
is because that is something they can understand and control. In other words, that is a finite portion of the infinite game that we can get our hands around. And what we need to do better as a profession is to try to figure out how we show value to the business entity playing the infinite game that we are and show those strategic pieces. And again, I would contend we've lost that muscle over the past decade. We need to regain it. It's always interesting when people say security and even compliance or privacy has to do a better job of running with the business, playing nice with the business. And I tell people, I do agree that we need to be thinking more from a business proposition perspective. But sometimes the answer is, if you want to do that, then you're going to be out of the enterprise risk tolerance that you're willing to accept. And these are some other course of action. So sometimes you have to be able to tell them the true story. I'm going to deliberately interrupt you here because that assumes that's a either or proposition. You and I have been around more than a half day. and We know that's not the case. We do understand. And for me, that's a communications issue. And that's a positioning issue that, again, it gets, I keep talking about 10 years ago. So let me frame this conversation. They'll frame this answer. Way back when dinosaurs roamed the earth, when I took my first CISO job about 20 years ago, there was a movement afoot to say, you know, by business to say, hey, this security thing is just another area of governance within the organization. And we have multiple areas of governance within the organization. So if I can appropriately govern this area, I can, as I can in all governed areas, reduce the risk and create process that works in the environment. And we saw the pendulum swing away from the tech, heavily into GRC. We saw degrees being created for information assurance and people poo-pooing the need for understanding the tech and understanding the threat, et cetera. And during the same time, we became more data-driven. We moved from data center to wireless, to offshore, to outsource, to cloud, and the list goes on. And we saw the level of risk and the level of incident go up because it's not just about the governance structure. It's also about understanding the tech and managing risk in the middle. So theoretically, we should swing right back to the middle. Human nature being what it is, we didn't. We swung 180 degrees out and said, you don't need this governance crap. All you need to do is to understand the tech. We went to market saying we can understand the tech. We go to market for students saying, you can hack for a living and make 10 quintillion dollars and you don't have to know anything else. And that's how we go to market within the environment and did for quite some time. So if we were doing that in the early 2010s, these are now our mid-career professionals who are in the environment and some of our younger CISOs within the environment who are extremely focused on tech, who are back to the conversations you and I used to have back where the business just doesn't get it within the environment and don't know how to storytell, don't know how to link action and consequence, don't know how to tie what they're doing to the business initiatives in a way that says, if you do this, I can drive revenue. And if you don't do this, you may have an additional risk that you have to contend with. And if you're okay with that, I can find a way to secure around that. We're not having those conversations. In point of fact, that particular coursework is the coursework I teach for SANS. As I get bunches of mid-year professionals who are attempting to learn that skill 
to begin to take on these roles, or younger, in some cases, experienced CISOs who are struggling because we're trying to teach them these skills that you and I grew up with when we got our PhDs, you, your second, my, my first, in the school of hard knocks. So it's not an either or proposition. It's a muscle we've forgotten was when, as a profession, we swung away from the balance, first to assurance, now to tech. It's not about being nice to the business. Remember, I only exist because the business is here. I'm not going to, my job is I'm a businessman as a CISO. My job is to make sure the paycheck doesn't bounce because that would make mama very unhappy. <laughs> and, and I'm a big guy. I like to eat. So the way I do that is present risk balance solutions that allow them to drive revenue to drive revenue, attract customers in a way that doesn't cause us to fall or stumble in a way that will hurt the organization or hurt its employees. And we've forgotten how to think like that collectively. We have, a, in my opinion, we have a large group of folks who, for whom that was not a part of the instinctive growth as they've gone up in their profession. Now, let's be very clear. I'm not the old guy saying, get off my lawn and shaking his cane. And I marvel at this generation of folks who are coming up and doing great things, and they have more technical savvy and prowess than I ever had back in the bygone days. But I see them struggle in terms of trying to get themselves integrated into the business to try to provide truly technically enhanced or technically driven solutions that are truly innovative versus inventive. And the difference between innovation and invention is innovation has use and has utility that integrate into the business to help the business move faster to achieving its goals in a way that is as seamless and as transparent as possible. I think we're struggling with it. I think part of the root cause we're struggling with it again is we've forgotten that muscle. So part of my passion is to figure out how we put that muscle back there. Thank you, Kim. Our time, unfortunately, is running short. What is the best way for people to reach out to you if they like to, to be a keynote speaker or if they want to go ahead and reach out to you for some VCSO assistance? The VCSO assistance is secondary now because all of my full-time jobs are staying busy, but LinkedIn is still the best way to reach out to me holistically overall. Grab me and follow me and then send me a message and I'll be happy to talk to you. You're also welcome to use my personal email, which is kljones.cism, C-I-S-M, at Gmail. And you're welcome to reach out to me there if you want to have a conversation. And that includes just continuing this conversation if you like. Thank you, Kim. You are a soulful CXO. I hope to be nothing more than just another old security guy who's trying to make it better for the next generation and, you know, just a good friend to my friends like you. So thank you for having me.